Well, we're here again. I didn't sleep for a few hours kind of early this morning thinking about this. And uh, it's a kind of an amorphous topic. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pull it off. But I was chatting, texting with a friend last night about some stuff. He's in, currently in an advanced rock guide course and kind of helped give some shape to these thoughts and kept me up all night. And to be honest, I'm almost 200 episodes into this whole podcast and I'm kind of embarrassed that I'm still making them a little bit. Like, oh, I keep putting it out there and, you know, kind of for all the reasons I mentioned in some of the earlier episodes about why I feel like I've done this and why I kind of don't want to do it anymore, but kind of why I'm still doing it. I'll get a random text every once in a while or and even an email every once in a while, and someone's like, hey, this thing that you said really made me think. And I was like, oh, I'm right back into it. Okay, I'm going to keep doing this. Um, I'm a little more selective about what I choose to say now. Sometimes I have an idea, and then I let it sit for 24 hours and then don't say anything or whatever. But, you know, that's my journey with this whole thing. But this one will be, it's kind of draws a lot of threads from, surprisingly, from episodes I've put out recently and just things in general. And it's something I've kind of thought about a bunch, especially when interacting with newer, younger guides um, in particular. And it's, it's really kind of amorphous. It's about... And the word that keeps coming up to me is embodiment. And it's the embodiment of the experience of things, of learning things. And something about that is kind of sticking with me and resonating with me. And one of the definitions of embodiment is to make concrete and perceptible. And what I'm thinking about is doing something so you actually have like a physical understanding of how it works. Like you feel, you embody it. You actually feel it in you. Um, And then also kind of this like mental piece that you really kind of own that material. And we all do it. Sometimes maybe we're not aware of it. Like, you know, thinking about you're climbing and you're reaching for a hold and you search with your fingers until you find like the right spot. You're like, oh, that's the feeling. Or you learn how to like flag or back flag and all of a sudden you don't barn door. And you're like, oh, cool. I do this thing and I don't swing or, or linking really good turns in a certain type of snow surface. And you're like, oh, this feeling, cool. Like you're embodying that that information and now you can like take that forward and like you know what it feels like to do that thing right um in in a physical world and i think we can all kind of recognize that piece we've all learned and and understand that and take that forward as we move into a new climb a new snow type or whatever it is right but i also feel like as a guide there's a big piece of this that i have embodied technical information Um, in terms of systems, rope work, and how they work, but also like the creation of the experience, the facilitation piece, like all of those pieces I've kind of 
embodied to a degree where it allows me now to create things that tend to be in more harmony um, throughout the board. Um, and uh, both in a technical sense and also in a philo- uh, experiential sense um, that sometimes I feel like as a newer guide, you're, you're not quite getting that point yet. It also comes down to some of this iteration that I've talked about as well. Um, and one of the things I was thinking about is like just the differences between data, knowledge, and experience, right? And data is just data. It's, it's, it's what we do with data. It's how do we interpret data that can give us some knowledge, right? And when we have knowledge, right, from there, we can actually start to formulate experience. And I think that's really interesting. Um, and the, one of the examples I was thinking, I was like, like think about when you're a child and, and someone tells you, don't touch it, it's hot. That's just data. You don't know. You haven't touched it yet, right? You're like, I don't know. That. But then you're like, I kind of want to touch it. It's hot, right? What does that mean? And like, don't touch it, it's hot. So, you know, if you just went on data and you never touched anything that's hot, right, you'd never have any knowledge of it. But at some point, you touch something that's hot, and you're like, oh, wow, that's hot. <laughs> I shouldn't touch that. It hurts, right? So now you have this knowledge that you can actually embody, right? You're like, it's a physical sensation. I have this pain, don't touch that thing. But think about it. It's not like you'd never touched anything hot ever again in your life. Like, I touch hot things all the time. I touch hot pans and wood stoves all the time. That's where the experience of like coming in is like, oh, now that I've, someone gave me this data and now I have knowledge about, oh, it's hot, it's painful if I do these things. But now I have the experience to know like, well, if I touch it with this body part for this duration and for this reason, I can probably do that for a short period of time and be fine. And it gives me a certain, you know, benefit for whatever reason. Like, you know, I, I live um, by wood stoves and, you know, stuff like that. So like I have a lot of experience around hot objects. And I think that's really interesting. Like, oh, you know, the, the book would tell me never to touch this again, but here I am touching it all the time, right? And doing it in a way that my experience allows me to, to go forward with this. And one of the things, I'm going to give a, a, a couple examples, I think, but one that, a technical example that keeps coming to my mind is belaying. Um, belaying specifically as as you're leading into single and multi-pitch train. So belaying from the top and belaying directly off the anchor and specifically belaying with plaquettes um, and then different, and not just plaquettes, but different tools. And I think it's really interesting because like I will, I can tell somebody, hey, this, try this technique out or don't do this technique because it sucks, right? And then some, that's data, right? And someone's like, Okay, maybe they never do it, all right? So it just stops at data, right? Maybe they do it once and they have that little bit of knowledge. It's like, oh, this, I touched the hot stove. But it's like, I can shorten somebody's progression into some of these skills because I can, you know, it's all about this like, well, let me teach you what I've learned. So you don't have to learn the hard way like I did how to do this thing. So you can just keep going forward. And we've all been a product of that, right? We're all building on, other people's experiences. But I think it's important that we don't just stop there when we're learning something. Like we actually do it and do it enough so we fully embody that thing. Otherwise, we're really shortchanging ourselves 
with that thing? Because we don't really know. Like, if you just do something once, like, oh, this sucks, and you never do it again, like, like you're not going to really understand kind of the intricacies of why it sucks and why you might have to do it again in a certain situation and then therefore be more ready with your experience or even actively choose to do that thing, even though you know it sucks, because it's giving you something that you think is worth doing it. It's really interesting. And I, I use the plaquette thing because, you know, and, and if even if you take that to the next level and think about belaying in parallel in a multi-pitch environment or a single-pitch environment, right, belaying in parallel is not fun. It's not easy. Um, but when you're in those terrain types, we oftentimes, and in some terrain, you have to belay in parallel. Otherwise, you'll never get up the mountain, right? And one of the, the predominant tools that we've been using for a long time to do that is a plaquette, some sort of plaquette, because we, we can belay both ropes at the same time. And, you know, there's some auto-locking capacities there that allow us to do other things with our hands and just actually allows it to function. And also, it's a pretty neat package, right? It's a pretty small tool. It sits well in the belay, so it organizationally and visually, it kind of works well, and conceptually, it does all these things. Belaying with plaquettes, especially in parallel, is not fun. Like, like it's a lot of work. There's a lot of inherent friction with those tools. It does depend a lot on ropes, which I'm going to get back to. Um, but in general, it's not my favorite thing to do. And I've literally belayed thousands of feet, maybe tens of thousands of feet probably, through plaquettes in my career. You know, I don't even know. I wish I had a rope canner on my hands, right? So I really understand how that works. And I don't just mean like, oh, I, I know how to use a plaquette. You know, I know it's kind of hard to pull a rope through. It's like, no, no. Like, I understand what it feels like to play with a GG versus an ATC guide versus a Petzl reversal versus a DMM pivot versus, you know, Name the plaquette, uh, uh, Megajoule, just throw that in the ocean. Holy cow, that's the worst to play with. Um, but also couple that with, like, I know what it feels like with a single pick sheath construction that an Edelweiss 9.5 rope might have or an Edelred 9.2 Topaz with its stiffer construction and its kind of more pronounced um, double pick sheath construction versus an Edelred 8.9 Swift versus a Sterling 9 Nano. Like, I, you know, I know what all those different rope types feel like or a 9.8 Velocity that's been worn from a season of rock guiding and now it's kind of wet and humid out so it's kind of like absorbing this water and getting puffier or a 9.2 Air. Like, like, this have this huge embodiment of this backlog of all these different ropes in all these different types of configurations, winter climbing, summer climbing, super wet climbing, frozen ropes, this tool versus that tool, alpine terrain, rock terrain, um, you know, parallel, cat caterpillar, you know, and then add the Grigrian or whatever the other tools in. And that knowledge, just that knowledge alone and the observations that I've gained from that allows me to look at something and see if the system's in harmony. Like, so it's not uncommon for someone to do something in front of me. And I'm like, oh, if you just wrote that all out on paper and explained, like, I did this here, I did this here, it would all be 
completely 100% technically sound in theory. But in practice, what you're doing doesn't make sense. And the, the classic is like watching people belay in parallel with a plaquette, with a, with a tool that has a smaller aperture, with like big fuzzy ropes. I'm like, you're just going to kill yourself if you keep doing that, right? You're, you're, you're going to have no elbows left. You're going to have tendonitis in your fingers, right? Because it, y- your system is not in harmony because that rope and in the conditions that it is doesn't make sense with the tools that you're using in the application that you're trying to do it with. On paper, it all makes sense. It's all fine. But in reality, you're not going to happen. I, to, to bring this back home a little bit, I remember it was just like the spring of 1997. I was so excited. I was, you know, starting to guide. I was doing this week-long winter mountaineering um, course as an instructor. You know, one of my earlier instructor things. Um, we were in the Mount Washington Valley, and we were doing stuff up on Mount Washington and ice climbing in, in the notches. And I had this opportunity to, you know, lead some like you know, f- you know, WI four and bring people up and and you know, um, next to my friend John, who was the, the program director, blah, 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 blah. And I remember this one particular day. I was really excited because I was like, I'm doing it. I'm doing the thing. I'm being a guide. I'm out here leading ice routes and I'm bringing people up. And I had a new tool. I had a Kong Gigi. And at the time, that was the, like, the most readily available plaquette you could buy in this country. Um, the other one that was kind of similar and a little bit older than that is the New Alps Magic Plate. And you couldn't really get those here in many places at all, but the Kong Gigi you could get somewhat regularly in a climbing shop. And that was literally the only plaquette available. Like the Reverso, the Petzl Reverso, the original one, hadn't come out yet for a few years. So I was like, oh, sweet, I'm going to belay off the anchor. Awesome. This is like the cool guiding thing to do with my brand new plaquette. My Kong Gigi, I'm so excited. And at the time, I was climbing with this rope that I had gotten um, as a, earlier as a teenager. I was still a teenager at that point. Um, my dad had given me, and it was a PMI 50-meter 11-mil rope, right? Because that was like, you didn't have a lot of rope options then. I was like, all right. And it, I had used it rock climbing and ice climbing. And I had kind of beaten it up, and it was a little fuzzed out. And it was 11-mil, right? It's a huge rope. And... Um, I remember the day ice climbing. It's just a classic ice climbing day where it's like rope gets wet, but it's cold enough for it to kind of freeze and like cake on snow and get stiff with ice. And I let up this pitch and I build my anchor. I'm all excited to use my new Gigi. I hook it into the anchor, plug my rope in, tell my client that they're on belay and then proceed to pull, try to pull the rope through. It was like trying to pull a steel cable through this Gigi. It was just like immediately, I was like, oh my, this is going to be so hard to pull the rope through this device. And I have this complete, it's kind of like you, you touch the stove. You're like, wow, that's hot. Wow. I don't ever want to experience that again. It was kind of like that, but it's not like I stopped using the Kong Gigi or belaying with plaquettes from that moment on. No, I learned, I'm like, oh, this rope and this tool combination, and especially in this environment right now is not appropriate. It's not in harmony right? It is almost impossible. It was so physically demanding to, to blay. I think I actually switched into a munter while the person was climbing um, because it was just almost impossible to blay the rope through. And that's what I'm seeing now. It's kind of interesting. And I'm kind of seeing 
kind of the antithesis of that to some degree, maybe that's not quite the right term, is like now I'm having friends who are using the Kong Gigi, right? Because it's still a really viable tool um, with modern, really thin single ropes. And it's not locking it's, it's as aggressively. It's like ropes are creeping through when it's under tension versus just locking aggressively. And it's like, oh, it's wonderful to pull the rope through because those GGs have these huge holes, huge apertures, which is why we use them a lot in, in, in guiding. But now with the modern ropes, once again, we're no longer in harmony, right? Because that tool wasn't designed really to belay ropes that thin individually in each hole. Sure, as twin ropes, yeah, or half ropes where you're belaying one person on two ropes, sure. But now, you know, single ropes are, are really thin. So now it's not the right tool. You need to use maybe a different tool to accomplish that. And, and it's just really interesting because folks haven't spent the time spending as much um, pulling so much rope through these devices of all these different varieties of rope they don't really understand that. They're just like, oh, pl plug and play. Like, oh, cool, I'm gonna use, I got this cool new thin rope, I got this tool, and it's like, oh, well, your system's not in harmony, right? Maybe you should use a different tool. Um, I actually had this conversation yesterday with a friend who's like, oh, should I get these like really thin twin ropes? You know, I was like, but it's like, well, then I was like, well, you're gonna have to get a different belay tool, like for the top and for the bottom, because if you want brake assistance, you're, you're gonna have to find a tool that's gonna work with that. So you might need this. He's like, oh, I don't wanna have to kind of like match my belay tool to my ropes. I'm like, well, that's the state of the art, right? Like, because things keep getting smaller and, you know, more advanced, like you, you can't just use the old tool now. You have to use a thing that's appropriate for that tool. And it's just interesting to think about the embodiment of all my years of pulling ropes through. Like, so I can go look at somebody's rope from a distance or go into the shop and like, I'll look at all the ropes, feel them. I'm like, oh, this rope's going to be great for knots. This is a great rope for leading. It's just stiff. It's going to clip well. Like this rope's going to be horrible through plaquettes. This rope's going to be great through plaquettes. This rope, you know, oh, you should just use a Grievery all the time with this rope. Don't even work. Don't even think about a plaquette with this rope. You're going to be, you're going to destroy your body, right? Um, and it's just interesting that I have that embodiment of those experiences with those tools in lots of terrain, right? Um, to really come up with that solution. It's also, uh, I, I think of it also like in the, the classic kind of like, don't let the trick obscure the solution. And I think like, think about climbing up a, a mellow snow slope and you build an anchor and you're gonna blaze someone up and you're like, all right, cool. I hook my locking carabiner into the anchor, clip my rope in, pull the rope down so it's really tight, quickly transitions into a muntrich because it's so fast. I know my quick little build my muntrich on, on the carabiner and then this person's gonna truck up the snow slope and then I can just turn that into a clofitch once I get there so quick. But it's so physically demanding to pull the rope through the munter when someone's charging up a snow slope. So it's like, like the tricks obscure that and it took me a long time to embody how much that isn't good, how much that even though how slick it is on paper, like it's way better just to take the time to hook a plaque up, plaque up, especially if you think about snow climbing, you're probably using a thinner rope. So you can just literally yank the rope through that thing so fast. And then, but yeah, the transition's a little bit more because you have to like set the tool up. And then when they come up, you have to transition them into a clove So it's a little less cool and slick, but ultimately it accomplishes the goal better. And I would only have known that if I hadn't pulled so many, um, you know, 
thousands of feet of rope through munter hitches in that terrain going, oh, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm so slick because I did these cool little like tricks. And now I'm like, oh no, that no way. It's not worth the time and effort. Like, like bring the plaquette out and pull the rope to the plaquette for that. And sometimes, well, not sometimes, I, I want people to learn from other people's mistakes, right? But I also need them to go out and actually feel them themselves and embody them themselves. Otherwise, they're never going to have a true understanding of that thing. They're never going to really own that material. I mean, it's the classic, like a parent saying, I want you to live, you know, you know, I want you to learn from my mistakes, but you still have to kind of make them to some degree. Otherwise you won't really understand them. Right. Um, so it's a really funny balance, um, with this stuff. Another thing I think that goes in this too is familiarity. So my friends on an advanced rock guide course, and they're talking a lot about direct anchor belays and, you know, some various conversations around that. And, and he's used them for sure. And, you know, and he has some questions and some thoughts about it. And I said, well, some of these questions and thoughts you're having, it's not because you don't understand the concept up here, but you haven't fully embodied the use of this yet. It's unfamiliar to you. So you're a little resistant potentially to maybe applying this more regularly in certain situations, right? And I think that's also interesting too, is like once you fully kind of embody a technique or a, th- or a concept or something that you're doing, like you really have command over it and you can feel it in your bones and in your core, right? You're going to be more receptive of, you know, of where that thing will fit into other places in places that either may be more, more general, like, oh, I could actually incorporate this more often in my general practice or in places where it's more esoteric, like, oh, this is kind of a unique way of using this skill or this tool, but it really makes sense in this scenario. And I only know that because I've played around with this stuff long enough. I've felt how it works long enough in enough different situations. Go, okay, this is a cool solution for this situation over here, even though it seems, you know, atypical. Um, So I think that's kind of interesting too. Yeah, it's this embodied knowledge, this embodied experience. It's, It's just fundamental to how I've come to understand the work I do and how I do the work, you know, and really factoring in all the variables as best as I can with the the experience I have to create a solution that I think is more in harmony for various reasons for the outcome I'm trying to shoot for technically, experientially, whatever, right? Same thing with teaching. Like, you know, when you've had a good session teaching, like you feel like, like, Everything was clicking. The pace was right. The students were really responsive. I could see them. It was like the right information. They were engaging. Like, I'm engaging. It's like, and you could feel it. You just had a great day. Just like you you know when you've had a bad day teaching. Like, ah, I was kind of off today. Uh, I wish I could have done this a little better, a little different. Like, you feel it inside you, right? That's like my guide. At this point, the, the, the actual intuition and the feeling point part of this is so much more prevalent to me that sometimes I can't articulate why I'm like, this just feels like the right, especially with, you know, more like the facilitation side of things like this just feels like the thing we need to do the right path. Um, it's just really interesting. Um, 
yeah, this, this topic is kind of vague, but also not. Another, another place where I felt this a lot is in short roping and short pitching. And like having the embodied confidence to know what it feels like to hold somebody in certain belay configurations when you're short pitching, certain body belay configurations or terrain belay configurations or just hand belay configurations in short pitching and short roping. Like we can tell you, oh, do this, do this, do this. But until you've actually held somebody, you don't really fully understand what you're capable of, right? I actually was doing some um, short roping, short pitching, mentoring this summer with the person. He kept wanting to like get in a more stable stance, which is great, a great default. And I was like, I just need you to stand up and just hold me with your hand here in this terrain right now. And he's like, oh, wow, I can actually hold you. I'm like, yeah, you can. You're like, I'm not saying don't try to be more con- conservative. And there are times and places where, you know, you need to up the security of the situation for, in various ways. But y- you got to play around with this in kind of these other ways to actually feel what it feels like to hold a, a, an adult human being in this train, in this situation. Like you can hold their weight. I remember there's this, there's this one little section on Katahdin in this particular route where um, you, I call it the boulder problem. You, you have to do this like little fifth class move. It's like a boulder problem. You know, you kind of step up off, off out of this cool bar up in this little onto this block. It's a little awkward move. And Essentially, right at the top of the block, there's a little awkward stance that puts you right above where the client is going to be. And it's not a great stance. You can't really get a shoulder belay. The angle's not right. The best you can really do is get a hand belay. There's no gear there, but it's like if you traverse off to the higher point, if they fall off, they're just going to swing. Now, granted, short-term consequence is low. They're really close to the ground, essentially, but if they twist their ankle, you're in a really challenging place to get out of. So there is consequence there. And I had this client, he's bigger than me, um, you know, an adult, and they're on that move. And I got this like little awkward stance and I'm just there with that, a short pitch hand belay. And the guy like fully blows off the move. I hold them. So he's just like laying and it's a little bit slabby. So it's like, he's kind of like laying against the rock, but it's, it's full weight on the rope and on the rock. So it's not like a vertical drop. And I was just like, oh, I can hold this person, no problem. Like this person of this size just like literally just blew off this move. And even though I have like a less than ideal stance and a less than ideal belay, um, it's the best I can do right here at this moment to give some level of protection. I'm like, I can hold them, no problem. Now I have that inside me. I know that. So when I go back to that place, I'm like, "I I can hold you here if you blow this move. And I know that now. And you know, because I've actually felt it, because I've actually held it, right? So I think it's important to once again, go out and practice these fundamental skills to know how to do them well and how to do them smoothly, but also know how they suck, right? And where this, like, where the suck point is and, and how to relieve, uh, uh, alleviate some of the suckiness of something, because there's going to be times and places in guiding where you're like, ooh, what I have to do today is going to suck, but I know why it sucks and I'm ready for that. And I'm going to build my solutions to try to make it suck less, even though I know I'm just going to have to like bite the bullet and do it. Um, whatever that is, there's, that could be a whole variation of things, right? So 
it's, it's, it's just kind of like this wisdom in our bodies that you only get from doing the things a lot, iteration, being incredibly reflective and observant about what's happening, right? So you can move forward. And then typically also with, with mentoring to help tease that out. So don't just do something once, go, oh, this sucks. Like go out and do it some more so you really understand why it sucks. Um, I think that's kind of important. And, and the more I, I grow with this, the more I realize how important those experiences have been for me and allow me to make decisions and choices in the field more organically and more efficiently because I understand um, to some degree different variables and I can pick and choose the solution that I think is going to work with the variables that are given to me. But it's a lifelong process. So I'm constantly getting more data, right? Like, you know, I remember when I was doing a lot of work um, kind of with quad anchors and, and Uber quads and stuff, I spent two full seasons just playing with quads in all kinds of different configurations and all kinds of different situations, bolt anchors, gear anchors, natural anchors, right? You know, uh, high and low quad pockets, right? They're at the same point, whatever, clipping this way, clipping that way. I just, I spent two whole seasons of guiding ice, rock, alpine, you know, playing with that system predominantly just to really get a sense of how it works, where it works, you know, when do I want it? When should I, when is it not appropriate? When is it is appropriate? When is it really magic? And when is it, ah, this is horrible, right? Um, just to get, to get that sense of, of, of that tool so I can apply it better in the future and get more comfort with it. So um, anyways, this kind of, in, this embodiment of our skills across the board, technical movement, equipment choice, the facilita facilitation skills. I think it's really important and um, I think about it a lot.